Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, crew, check it. Dog events are happening. For exhibitors who are able and willing to attend these events, it feels as if our tribe has been reunited once again. Meanwhile, for folks who are continuing to feel safest staying at home and away from crowds, and for folks who are driving long haul between far-flung events, I gotcha. I've been working hard to bring you all podcast episodes that help you feel connected to our larger community and offer opportunities for education and entertainment, no matter how you have managed through this truly overwhelming year. One of my favorite events this year is the monthly virtual Pure Dog Talk After Dark for patrons of our podcast. Anybody can join this fabulous community of dog enthusiasts by visiting the website and clicking on the Become a Patron link on the homepage. And while you're there zooming around on the site, you might think about checking out our shopping tab too. We've linked dog show vendors from all around the country so you can help support them during this really grueling loss of income suffered due to a lack of events. There's even a swag link that lets you order your Pure Dog Talk t-shirt, sweatshirt, fan case, mask, (laughs) ringside towel, and so much more. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you every day to make sense out of everyday things to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. So check out the links at www.puredogtalk.com. Your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and today we have part two of our episode talking with one of my most favorite frequent contributors, Amanda Kelly of Fuegel Toy Manchester Terriers in Canada. And here in November, we're having sort of stud dog month. And so I proposed to Amanda that we have a conversation about stud dog shopping. And if you didn't have a chance, you can take a listen to part one that we did last week. That mentorship piece. I can remember, I cannot tell you how many people I call. I'd have Mildred Ravel and Pat Lawrence and Joy Brewster and all of these people, Judy Cheshire and Bernay Braun, all these people who were 25 years ahead of me in my breed that I'm calling up asking about, well, what about this dog? And what did you like about that dog? And they were known and respected people in the breed. I was like, no one. And you know what they did? They took the call and they talked to me. 
And part of a mentorship relationship is being a good student. Mm -hmm. So when you have the opportunity to pick someone's brain like that, I think it's important that you, A, as you said, take advantage of that as much as you can and be smart in trying to gather information from, you know, many different sources that you respect. There's no point in asking someone who breeds dogs that you don't like what they think. (laughs) Choose carefully what your information you're gathering. But when you do receive it, treat that information with respect. The person has taken the time to share with you their thoughts. A candid evaluation of a dog, particularly one that belongs to someone else, is a very precious thing. And it is something that breeders give out sometimes with a lot of hesitancy because if abused, it can lead to difficulties. So, you know, if I don't trust that I can have a conversation with you where I say, you know, you know, I've watched this dog in this line for many years. I find that they don't maybe seem to produce particularly strong rears. So I'd be careful about that. Or I'd be worried about, you know, maybe XYZ health issue that I know has come up in that line. Make Mm -hmm. sure that you ask questions about that when you inquire about that study. That's sensitive information. It is sensitive information. And I will tell you the number of times that people have come to me, asked my opinion, I've given it honestly, and they've turned and run right back to the person I was sharing the information about and said, Laura said that your dog is blah. And I'm like, oh, for Pete's sake. (laughs) That is the way to abuse a mentorship relationship. That's right. And what ends up happening is that the next time someone comes and asks, Mm -hmm. then the information is not as forthcoming. So, you know, I think that's a super important thing to bear in mind when you are researching. The other thing to remember is that Each of these people is going to give you a different opinion and they all have different experiences and they all have different approaches. So your job is to listen to everything that they say and ask intelligent questions and engage in the conversation and then take from that conversation the pieces that make sense to you. And just because you like someone or you like their dogs or you respect their breeding program doesn't mean that you're going to agree with every word that comes out of their mouth. Right. But... Picking through that, you're going to find the little gems that, you know, you'll remember 25 years from now and think, oh, you know, it becomes your little gem that you pass on to someone else. Right. And again, a lot of it is going to go back to that hands-on piece. So the people that I'm talking to about old dogs that are behind some of the dogs I'm considering using saw that old dog live and in person. And there's a whole lot of difference between that and this black and white picture I'm looking at in a 20-year-old breed magazine. And people's memories maybe aren't perfect or whatever, but for people who have been actively involved in the breed, they are a treasure trove of knowledge for the new breeder coming up because they saw those dogs. They witnessed things with their own eyes. And so it's not secondhand gossipy knowledge. I saw this dog try to bite that dog, you know, whatever it is. I saw this dog, whatever, pick a thing. I saw this dog be fabulous. Whatever it is, you saw it with your own eyes. And it is information that is hard earned and as a result, worth it. And they have such important context information, Laura. Yes. I mean, we often, I think, look at photos and historical information on our breed and individual dogs in our breed anachronistically. Yeah. 
we pull out a picture from 1972 of dog right. XYZ, right. and we say, oh, he's too stodgy, or he's not whatever it is we've decided that the breed has become or should become or whatever. And we don't consider what else was out there and being shown at the time and why that dog may have been remarkable in the context of the time in which it was being shown. Yes. So the person you're talking to, if they saw that dog in person, they also saw all the other dogs that were being shown at the same time. And they have information about the wider family because they will have seen, you know, brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and all of those different things that are going to help you contextualize any information that you're gathering on any dog that's in your pedigree. Exactly. That right there. So, okay. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. Excellent conversation. Thank you for going shopping with me. (laughs) I'm always up for a shopping trip, girl. As long as it's shoes. I'll shop for shoes any day of the week, man. My MasterCard is charged and ready. (laughs) I do have a couple of like kind of individual points that I just want to sort of throw for you to think about. And then you can let me know. We can go or not go. All right. So these are kind of three things that I, you know, had jotted down when we initially said we were talking about shopping for stud dogs. One of the things was that I think it's important to not shop for dogs in pieces. Mm. We often kind of do that thing where we look at our bitch and go, she needs a better head. And then we just go out and we find a dog who has a beautiful head and we forget that there's, you know, a body attached to that head and that as much as we might like to say, I'm going to do this breeding and I'm going to keep her body and put his head on it, rarely does the genetics of the world. Almost never. Right. <laughs> Occasionally, we're really No, it never happens. Lucky. <laughs> right. <laughs> but there's always going to be an element of both dogs. So mm-hmm. as much as you can and should say, you know, I really want to improve this head on my bitch, that is a sound statement as part of your evaluation and what you're trying to accomplish. You also need to look at the rest of what you're breeding to. And as I said previously, what is being produced by that dog? Right. The best indicator is what's already been done. So look at other breeding sets. Well, the best indicator of if the bitch that he was bred to is similar enough to yours. Right. He may produce really beautifully with Susie Q's line over there, but bred into... Mr. X's line over here, he makes a complete disaster. That's right. So that's a thing. And I think in that same vein of shopping for the whole dog, not just the piece, Mm -hmm. and we don't get what we want, we want the best of everything, breed to a dog that if you got the worst of both of them, Mm -hmm. what would you have? Exactly. And have that as a consideration. Well, and I think you must have a spy in my office and you can see my notebook here. So that was sort of my <laughs> next point was when you look at what great minds, I'm going to go with great minds. I mean, right. <laughs> incredible minds, I guess. So when you are looking at the research on your stud dog, because we talked about researching bitches, but when you're researching your stud dog and you're looking at that family of dogs, you know, you're thinking about things like, is he already a popular sire? You maybe comes from a line of popular sires. What does that mean? Yep. If you are looking at a dog that has already been bred, you're going to look at a number of things in the progeny. First of all, as a group, 
what common attributes do you see across all of these dogs, regardless of what breeding they came from? That'll give you an idea of what that dog may or may not be prepotent for producing in whatever it desires. Yes. The second thing that you need to look very carefully at is what did the bitches look like that this dog was bred to? When you look at a puppy, it's great to say, you know, I like it, I don't like it, et cetera, et cetera. And we often sort of attribute that for some unknown reason that I will never understand to the sire. All of the problems in the litter are because of the sire and all of the great and wondrous accomplishments in the litter are also because of the sire. No, no, no. (laughs) Everything good is because of the dam. Everything bad is because of the sire. Are you kidding me? It takes two to tango, people. (laughs) When you look at the dog and what it has produced, you're going to look at what the bitches look like that it was bred to. If it can pull a beautiful puppy out of an inferior bitch, that's a great sign. Mm -hmm. Whether or not the bitches are maybe related to the bitch that you have might Mm -hmm. be a great insight. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you know, look carefully at that. The other thing I would also recommend is if you see a group of dogs that you really like or maybe a particular male that you like, Mm -hmm. think about the sire of that dog. Right. Sometimes the best sire is not the dog that's in front of you. It's that dog sire. Yes. I think that a lot. And I frequently go that direction for that reason. If you like what he produced, go to the sire. Right? Right. Exactly. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Embark is a proud sponsor of Pure Dog Talk. DNA testing is rapidly growing amongst breeders. And given the importance of these test results to the health of not only each dog, but also that of future generations of dogs. At Embark, they believe it's critical to provide transparency in their testing methods that result in more than 99.99% accuracy for health tests. Embark's innovative testing platform enables the hundreds of genetic health and traits test results provided in Embark's products, while also creating research-ready data for use by canine health organizations and scientists. Embark's methods exceed industry quality control standards by also checking the breed, sex, and relatives of every sample to ensure DNA samples are correctly labeled and unique identity is recorded. In addition to quality control, this helps fraud prevention by ensuring the same dog can't be tested multiple times without Embark knowing. At Embark, they're proud of their world-class canine DNA testing service, and they're committed to continually raising the bar. They're on a mission to provide breeders and all dog owners with the high level of accuracy they need to optimize their breeding programs, manage the lifetime care of their dogs, and improve the health of future generations of dogs. Haven't used Embark yet? Get your first Embark for Breeders dog DNA test for $99 right now. You use the code TRYEMBARK99 at EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders. That's TRYEMBARK99 at EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders. Okay, so point number three. It doesn't matter who owns the right dog for your breeding. Huge. Yes. Huge. Good. 
you can hate the guts of the person who owns the right dog for your bitch. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to put that aside in order to be successful. I've always said that you've got to be willing to dance with the devil. Now, obviously, we all have our lines in the sand for various reasons, and I won't comment on those. But a lot of the issues that we see in breeds are Mm competition-based and not really anything other than that. And if you cannot put that aside in order to design your breedings, then you're setting yourself up for failure from the beginning because you have cut yourself off from part of your population. Yeah. I think that that is so important. I remember I had a great conversation with Doug Johnson from Clussics, Clumbers and various and sundry Spaniel fame. And Doug had said very much the same thing. And it's so powerful to me because he is that person. I mean, he doesn't care who owns it. He'll go find a stud dog and say, no, I want to breed of that. You know, I really think that in my mind's eye, that is one of the traits most associated with very successful breeders. Mm -hmm. Okay, last thing on my list here. All right. You need to think about risk and how risk averse you are or on the flip side, how open to risk you are. So there are safer breedings that you can do. You know, if you have a choice of a stud dog that has maybe been bred extensively and you know exactly what he's going to produce or you have an idea of what you're going to get, that's a safer breeding. If you're breeding within a family of dogs that's very familiar to you, that's a safer breeding. You know, you have a better idea of what you're going to get. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are times, though, when you maybe want to or need to step outside of your comfort zone and take a risk. Mm -hmm. And the saying, great risk leads to great reward, is awesome and true. But the flip side of that is that sometimes your gamble doesn't necessarily pay off. So you need to think about whether or not you're willing or able to fail. And I think that we have to be less afraid of failing. Yeah. And it's maybe easier to say that for breeders who are more established and have more litters under their belt. Your tolerance for risk, I think, grows as you breed longer. I agree with that. And I think, you know, that first litter, you are just so desperate you want to make a mark, you want to do right, you want to be noticed, you want to be seen. So that safe space is very frequently where a lot of people start. And then they sort of grow their confidence, grow their understanding, grow their knowledge, all of those things over the course of time. Absolutely. And, um, you know, kind of when you, when you stop and think about um, what kinds of risks you're willing to undertake when you get to that point. So, you know, when you are to the point where you think, you know, I want, I want to try something that maybe is a little bit different. My kind of rule of thumb is this. I'm not willing to gamble on health or temperament. Those are the basic building blocks. That's my line in the sand. A good so. dog. That's right. My line in the sand as well. I want to produce the very best, you know, 99% of what any of us ever breed is going to go to a pet home and we have to set them up for success. That's our job as breeders. Our number one job is not to produce show dogs. It is to produce really wonderful pets because that's where these dogs are going to go. And that's what's going to make any of them, whether they're in a show ring or an agility ring or sitting on somebody's couch, that's what's going to make sure that they have a happy life. 
Yes. So that's my line in the sand. But, you know, I frequently have people call me and say, you know, what would you think if I bred to this dog? Or I'm not really sure. I think I might go out and try this dog. And my pat answer is always the same. If the worst thing that is going to happen is that you are going to produce a litter of pets, that is not the end of the world. Absolutely true. And something that I think is so important to remember. And in my world, I do a lot of breeding to field dogs. So I've taken Mm -hmm. my really beautiful top winning show dogs and bred them to national field champions and Navda utility title dogs and master hunters. And they're generally speaking also a show champion, but they are certainly not the prettiest dog in the ring. And that has been my emphasis. And I have gotten litters of pets. I'm like, well, that's too bad. (laughs) That didn't work out. And that's okay. That's completely okay. That's right. And I think we've all been there, you know, in my breed. It's maybe, you know, bringing an import in from Europe where they Mm -hmm. do look very different. Right. And thinking, you know, I'm going to try this because I want to see if I can get X, Y, or Z and Mm -hmm. kind of transition that. Maybe it's a longer term plan than just one breeding. Right. But I've also been in the position where I've looked in the litter and thought, well, okay, well, that didn't work out. I've I've definitely, I've definitely been in that situation. And that's okay, I think is the right answer to that question. As long as you're willing to recognize it and not try to force it. So if you look in your litter, and that's the whole other conversation that could go on for many hours. We'll make December be the one on puppy evaluations. (laughs) But being able to look at your litter and saying, you know, that didn't work and I'm not going to, you know, force myself to keep something just because I feel like I have to. Right. Or the flip side of that, well, I didn't get what I wanted, but I'm going to run this one on to see if what I wanted pops up next. That's a whole nother conversation. Mm -hmm. Trying to make something out of nothing. Well, or finding that it came in the following generations, which I have seen. Yeah. Look, at the end of the day, and we keep saying this yes. in every one of our conversations, it all leads somewhere. Everything you do has value to some degree, whether it's just as a learning experience or whether it's because it's leading you to best in show at Westminster. It all has value. And so for me, you know, I encourage people, I understand that when you're starting out, you do need to make safer choices because I want people to have success early on so that they fall in love with the sport and they grow their confidence and they fall in love with their breed and they become committed long-term breeders. But when you get to the point where you're able to expand your horizons a little bit, then, you know, I encourage people to really think about doing something different and daring because that is the mark of a great breeder. Copying what other people have done is derivative. And rarely gets you where you want to go, certainly not as fast as you'd like to get there. Right. Excellent. All right, Amanda, I, as always, value your input, your insight, and your good humor tremendously. And I know my listeners do as well. So thank you. Oh, my gracious. I love these chats. I know. It's the best part of my month. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Amanda, we will talk again soon. Thanks. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic 
are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.